Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Live Long, the podcast, as we continue our series on the art of healthy longevity. And this is being done in conjunction with Homerton Changemakers Programme at Cambridge University. And hand in hand with Iona, a digital healthcare company that I've set up with a number of colleagues to enable people to live a longer, healthier life. Now, I do hope you're going to enjoy me as I have a wonderful conversation planned with a British lady who really has so many facets to her. I hardly know where to begin. Not only is she a very, very eminent um, fashion model and graced the front pages of Elle and Cosmopolitan and so many magazines in her day. She became a TV producer and was the host of Britain's Top Model. She then became a jewellery designer and used her talents to harness what's good about art, creativity and design in a spiritual journey she was undertaking. And that led her then to become a healer and a Reiki expert. And really having visited her myself and experienced her wonderful ambiance I just think this is an most transformative and informative journey that's going to help millions of listeners, I'm hoping, who will join us this morning. Not only has she all of these elements to her, but she is also a mother, a true lady, one of life's wonderful ladies. Her voice even, you know, is so soft and gentle. Even just listening to this lady will make you feel better. And finally, a lovely and trusted friend. Join me in welcoming Lisa Butcher. Lisa, welcome. Gosh, Millie, what a build-up. For goodness sake, I don't think I can live up to all of this. <laughs> oh, you can and so much more. I mean, it's such an honour to have you here and thank you for giving up your morning to us. Anything for you, Millie, you know that. You're so special to me, you really are. <laughs> oh, bless you. Well, look, Today we're going to have a little amble, a conversation, and I think people will be very interested to hear about your journey. I mean, how did you get from the front cover of Elle at such a young age, I think you told me you were in your late teens, to healer? Tell me, how did this all happen? That's a pretty long journey. Okay, so my so my very first picture was taken when I was 12 years old. Um, we were on holiday in South Carolina and a poor portrait artist took my picture because he wanted to paint my portrait so he gave that photograph to my mum and uh, when I was 13 years old Elle magazine had just launched and my mum sent the picture to Elle magazine and uh, they had a minimum age of 16 I was uh, (laughs) I wasn't 16 at the time and I ended up winning so what happened is I became the face of Elle, but I didn't get the prize because I was underage. But there was a big hoo-ha about my launch because of the whole um, underage debate and whether uh, kids should uh, model when they're so young. So I guess that rocketed my career. So I went straight from living on a beach in Bali, coming to England, being thrown into a all-girls Uh, convent school to suddenly flying around the world modeling which is something I never thought I'd do I always thought I'd be in the mounted police because I loved animals I like looking (laughs) after and you still love animals (laughs) and I certainly still love animals um but yeah and then that career took it was 30 years Millie I was in a career for 30 years it's such a long time what age were you when you were on the front cover of Elle Lisa I, I think the picture I sent you I was 14 wow that's incredible 
yeah so like at age sort of not knowing anything about fashion to suddenly walking past a, a like a news agents and seeing my picture on the stand was just like oh my god this is weird this is strange and I, I've always felt like a little bit of an ugly duckling so it's interesting suddenly being thrown into fashion which is a you know it's a sink or swim um, kind of industry actually. Yeah but that's interesting you say you felt like an ugly duckling I mean you know, one's perception of oneself and what one can do is completely different with the outside world perception, isn't it? A hundred percent. Because when I was in my all girls convent, I was six foot tall. I was like the one with the big teeth and who didn't, it was very like, didn't quite fit in because I was just so gawky and I didn't fit into the normal mold. However, when I was thrown into the fashion world being six foot, I was suddenly like, okay, now I can, now I can fit in. It's interesting. Mm. But then the other side, of course, fashion is you're only judged on what you look like. You're only as good uh, as, as being the new face. So you have uh, there's a definite shelf life to it. But even through my times in fashion, I kind of I don't know. I always wanted a bit more. I was always interested in psychology. I was always interested in about you know what makes people tick. And a little bit, I was the one on the fashion shoot sort of reading a book while everyone else is sort of gossiping and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But so my modeling led me to doing um, a couple of TV shows. There was one called Britain's Next Top Model, which was, um, which I hosted. Yes, we've all watched that. Absolutely. <laughs> then I got headhunted to do one called uh, What Not to Wear with my best friend at the time called Misha Paris. And this was probably my most favorite job because it was actually talking about fashion, but from inside out. So it's like, okay, so this is what you can wear to help yourself feel good. And actually, these are the tools to help yourself feel good on the inside too. So stepping into that role, I was just like, okay, this this feels a bit more, yes, it was a challenging TV, 16-hour days and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it was nice to have a voice and it was nice to actually know that you made a bit of a difference, which I know is what you do in your job every day. I'd never experienced that before. Interesting. Yeah. So you, you've seen fashion then from the, the perspective of people looking at you. Then you went into TV producing and you were looking at them, helping them feel better. So then what happened? Yeah, it was presenting. I was hosting the, the, the program. And then what happened is I went through a time of bereavement. I lost my father, my stepfather and my husband all at the same time within a month. Oh, my God. One after the other, after the other. Um, dad was sick, so he, we were nursing him for four years. Stepfather, again, lung cancer. Um, and um, husband had a freak polo accident. And, um, yeah, he was in South America at the time. I was in England, and I had to take my kids, who were 12 and 10 at the time, back to Argentina to say goodbye to him. Oh, my God. I know it sounds horrific when I say it back, but... It's weird, Millie, you get through these things, you know, one step at a time, you know, if you, if you think of it as a huge mountain, it just seems insurpassable. But I think just you just manage with life, right? How did you get through it, Lisa? I mean, through, you know, the, the world is being challenged with so much death and sickness at the moment. And to have three loved ones, I'm sure there are families listening here that that has happened via COVID. How did you cope and how did you get yourself better and emerge? I'd never heard of therapy, to be honest, prior to all of this kind of, I was just like, um, I'd, I'd never really, and I thought I was fine. And what I used to do is I'd take my kids to school and I'd cry all day long, sort myself out so that when I picked my kids up, I wouldn't be crying. I'd hold it together, put them to bed and cry myself to sleep again and cry myself awake. And that's how I dealt with it. And about sort of nine months in, my friend of mine said, 
you're not coping. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm perfectly fine. Don't worry. You know, I'm fine. And he was like, you're not. You need to, you need, you need to get some help with this. You can't, you can't manage everything all by yourself. And I, and I had no idea, um, Millie, that I was crumbling. And of course I was. Yeah. And then I started doing some um, uh, bereavement counselling, which led me to Reiki. Interesting. Interesting. The Reiki journey started it. But, you know, tell me about um, how you felt at that time in that here you were a public figure. You were expected to be, you know, dressed beautifully, able to help all these other people. Do you think the crying helped you um, morph from that public persona into the more private and then emerge um, with the Reiki helping you kind of transform yourself? Yeah, I think I think in my for my journey, I stepped away from fashion. I stepped away from TV. I stepped away from everything that was in the public eye, Millie. Mm. I just because I had been in the public eye since a teenager, I just didn't want to do it anymore, and it just felt fake. Yeah, it felt superficial, and I was in, and I just wanted to get my family better. So I stepped back from that. And what I started doing was designing jewelry. We just like sketching, and I started sketching like healing um, Sanskrit symbols. That was it. And I was sketching. I never really drew before. I wasn't really. I didn't, wouldn't call myself a creative person, but I felt by cre- by going through this book of symbols and, and drawing these things up, I just felt a little bit of. I could take me away from my pain, if that makes sense. So um, slowly, slowly, after time, I started getting this collection, started making these things up. So, for example, I had one uh, piece of jewellery that when I was feeling better, I designed called the lotus, which is a lotus flower. And the symbology behind a lotus flower is, you know, it, it, it grows in the deep, dark, dark, murky depths of the water. And it comes out of the mud and then it just blooms in the sunshine, the most beautiful, beautiful flower. And I kind of felt that that was kind of where me and my kids are at. You know, we've had a terrible time, but out of that pain, something beautiful had happened. So as far as my journey, out of all the pain came, I managed to get my artistic side back and started designing these pieces that helped me. And then I could start, and then suddenly people started asking me to make them for them as well. So that's kind of where my little business started. That's fantastic. And, you know, one of the other um, ladies I interviewed, Emma Rose, she talked about this transformative power of art healing herself, let alone other people. And you've articulated this as well. That's incredible. So then you did the jewellery making and you still make jewellery, don't you, Lisa? Yes, I do, my lovely. I'm, I'm, I'm predominantly bespoke because what I like is to make things that nobody else has. So I've been big into crystals ever since I can, ever since I can remember. So when a client comes to me, they'll tell me what they're looking for. I'll suggest potential crystals and um, and materials to work with, and then symbols that would resonate for them, so that nobody would have the same thing ever again. And that's the kind of jewelry. I, it's probably not the best for my business sense, like <laughs> doing one-off pieces like this, but it just. I tell you what makes me so happy. I've made a few um, engagement rings and wedding rings and just like sort of with hidden messages in. It's just that that's the kind of stuff I love to do. Wow. And do these people come back? You know, if, if somebody commissions you and they've had a bereavement, say, or they want to celebrate something, do they come back and say that wearing that jewellery has an impact on their life? I haven't had the bereavement one, my lovely, but I have had the marriage one, which is great. And they said, that they have it has impacted their life and like sort of feeling because what I did when I engraved on the inside I did it so the engraving stuck out so they could touch it it was more tactile mm. so that they could actually feel the message with their thumb if they were feeling I don't know it, it's just like a hidden message for them so um, it seemed to bring them a, a lot of 
a lot of joy, which is what I like. And the other thing, because now I've learned Reiki and things, I, I, I give all of my jewelry Reiki before I hand them on. Mm. So when I say it's bespoke, it's literally like amulets, talisman to carry around with you to kind of give you a bit of strength when we need it, when, when you need it, because God knows you need it at the moment. Well, we do. And, and we've had all sorts of interesting artists on. We had one lady who has beautiful candles. In fact, I've one lighting here. It makes the room feel really nice. Then we had a jeweller on last week who actually has been repurposing Granny's Gold, which I thought was a very inspirational idea. And you're doing the same. You know, it's nice to have something to touch and feel. And as a doctor, you know, in my consultations, what we give patients when they go home is a prescription for a drug. And of course, we have to have the best medicine. And of course, we have to have the best science. But the purpose of this podcast is what else can people do to feel better? That's the purpose. It's 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 part of a holistic approach to the patient, you know, the medicine, the science, and then reaching out to art and to see how we can give little tools and tricks to feel better and you've already told us a number of things the lovely lady you interviewed before the jewelry maker um i i listened to it and i thought she was fat sarah may yes and one of the things that i picked up on is she was talking about man-made um diamonds right yes well diamonds come from carbon carbon comes from ashes so basically you can have a loved one that you make a ring out of i know that sounds slightly macabre but i'm only saying that because my great dane died last year and she was my soulmate, as you know, Millie. Yes. And I'm going to, a little bit later on this year, going to do a goodbye ceremony ritual for her. But I kept a bit of ashes to make into a diamond. Fascinating. Yeah. So I'm going to make that into a piece of jewellery that I can wear forever so that I feel that she's with me forever. That is an incredible idea because, I mean, yes, I hadn't even thought about it that way. But, you know, that is one way of um, giving longevity via art, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it really yeah, is. Really. Gosh, you should pursue <laughs> that idea. I'm sure that there's lots of people listening. You know, I mean, I know that my future mother-in-law um, was cremated recently and um, we will be spreading her ashes. But I would have thought it would be amazing to have a little bit of her, such an inspirational, kind and, and loving woman. But it might not be for everybody, but it is certainly something to think about, isn't it? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Your lovely Great Dane's name was Bali, wasn't it? Bali, yes, because yeah. that's where I got Millie. And yes. um, yeah. <laughs> Well, do you know, we were going to have a giggle now because when, when I went to visit you in your um, surroundings, I don't know what you would call it, lab, um, clinic, it certainly didn't feel like a clinic to me. I remember I told you, my goodness, I, I feel like I'm in Bali here and <laughs> we've put up some <laughs> lovely photographs and you were, you know, chatting to me and I remember I had a shoulder problem. You were trying to help me because I was desperate to get this shoulder problem fixed, having been to an orthopedic surgeon and you name it, I'd done it. And um, you, you anyway, I felt a million dollars coming out and we had a giggle and I said, what do you call this treatment? And it's certainly not Reiki because it feels like we're in Bali. And do you want to tell everybody what we decided we would call your interventions on me? You sweet thing. We've called it iLab, haven't we? Yeah. And why is that? <laughs> and why? <laughs> oh, I, I used to it... tell you. <laughs> you. Go on, you tell us. No, you tell it. Go on. Go on, Millie. You came up with it in the first place and no. I've, just, I've stopped it from you. No. It was funny. It was a giggle. I said to you, um, you need to call it Bali. And, and then we decided, no, that's really ripping off somebody else's name. So we decided between the two of us, is my memory, that we would spell it backwards because neither of us were very good at spelling. Wasn't that right? So therein was born iLab. Correct. 
Correct. <laughs> and I'm so glad that your has got better. That's fantastic news, Millie. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, the doctor has to heal themselves too. And I think it was a combination. I, I went to a fantastic orthopedic surgeon um, and then I had a, a fantastic radiologist who did an injection on me. And then another lovely lady, Stephanie and her candles. And then you. And I think between the whole lot of you, best medicine, best science and best art, I got healed. Oh, well, do you know what, um, uh, my lovely Millie, you're a healer too. Healing comes in many forms. Healing can also go for, come in, in the form of going for a walk in the countryside. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Healing can come from waking up in the morning, setting your intentions and, you know, sticking to those and just making sure that every decision you make in that day is a decision that has the highest intention. Mm, I think that's good advice. Yeah, healing can come through animals, through children, through many different ways. Mm. And I think the best way of healing is mind, body and spirit, which is, as you said, you know, uh, seeing a Western doctor, but also seeing someone who might help you with mindfulness, who might help you in, in, in other ways as well. And it's a combination of everything, isn't it? It is. It is, you know, and I think there's only so much, you know, we obviously try when we get a problem in the clinic and we will drill down and we will give the very best answer based on the very best evidence. But sometimes it is about a lifestyle adjustment. And I don't know how many patients I've seen in the clinic where it's maybe something as simple as somebody who's helping them with their medical problems saying, well, have you thought about changing your job or have you thought about more exercise? And it sounds so simple, but yet the simple things are often the best things in life, aren't they? Absolutely. And I think it's, Emilia, it's really tough on doctors now because you only, yeah, GPs only have 10 minutes, don't they, with, with a patient. So how on earth are you going to find out about someone's mental state and everything else within those 10 minutes when they go see a GP when they're struggling? Yes. You know, there's so many, there's so many other, uh, other bits to it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the health service, you know, has been really, really stretched and it has done an unbelievably good job during COVID. And I think that by empowering patients and people, not just patients, people to do more for themselves, that can help in addition to the medicine. And it's the power of the mind, Millie. It's like the mind is so strong. You could someone could have a terminal illness, but they're going to live much longer than the doctors say because they've got such a strong mind. You know what I mean? So if you have a strong mindset, and if you have, if, if you can go into everything with a stronger mindset, I think you'll get an awful lot more out out of life and out of your day as well. Well, yes, mindset and also purpose. Don't you think? I mean, by knowing what your purpose in life is, gives you the raison d'etre to keep going and and you have found your purpose in healing people and helping people. It's quite difficult though, Millie, for some people to, I didn't really find my purpose till much later until I was thrown into it. I started with modeling because my mom started my career. I didn't have a, that wasn't my goal. I never really had a goal until the universe could have brought me to my knees and said, okay, you're on the wrong path now. This is what you must do. Mm. So I think sometimes it's very hard for youngsters to be like, okay, so this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's also hard for, you know, I found when my kids moved away from home and I was like left at home with no children. That's another time I was just like, good God, what am I going to do with my life? What's the point of me being here? What, 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 what value can I add to the world? And that's the time I started changing. And that's the time I started studying. But, you know, this is the change. This is for change makers. So we're really touching on some very deep issues here because what we're trying to do is change how people think about their life, their world, their health. But, you know, how would you advise people on how to find their purpose? 
Like what advice, what did you do to find your purpose? I mean, you had bereavement, you had a, the universe came, struck you down and said, right, you sit down. But it is very, very hard to annotate one's purpose. Do you have any tips for people on how to get there? I think you just got to try new things. I mean, I, I was very stuck, Millie, asked before I met you, actually. And again, I was floundering. I was just like, well, what, what am I meant to be doing here? And, and, and a girlfriend of mine said, have you thought about shamanism? I was like, shaman what? What is that? And she's just like, why don't you just go and have a little, um, just, just check it out. So I went on a class and that, and again, sort of one thing led to another. I did my first class and now I'm on an advanced course of it. And I, and I absolutely love it. And it's really expanded my life and it's expanded me as a person so and I just think you just got to try new things so for me it's about courses it's about learning things it's about learning about spirituality because that's that's my thing and it's learning about how to make the most of myself and health and things that that's what interests me so find something that interests you and then kind of expand on it do different courses and doing a course is great because then you just like trialing trying something yeah you know for a short amount of time to see if you like it or not so that's interesting. So people can try and identify. I mean, some people are born and they know what they're meant to be doing in life and other people then have, you know, just go along a pathway that's chosen for them like you did. And then by actually actively choosing through courses, etc., you found your way. I mean, the other way, of course, is reading. I mean, for me, my purpose in life is to enable people to live longer, healthier. And yeah. it didn't become obvious to me really until about two or three years ago. You know, I was a doctor. I, I've my father wanted me to do medicine and I just did medicine because he, it was quite funny, actually. He said, look, you'll have to do medicine or maybe you can be a nun. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm not going to be a nun. <laughs> and, but, but when I reflected back, I know it was really funny. It was scary. So when I reflect back in my life and I think, well, I did medicine because I like helping people. But in the clinic, I like to kind of go beyond that and see how they can live a better life. And and then I set up this digital technology company to give doctors the power to give information to the people at the right time to help them live longer, healthier. So I thought, and then I read loads of books like Ikigai and you name it, I was reading it. And then I decided I'm going to write down what my purpose is and then I'm going to do things that align with that. And that's why this podcast came about. And that's why I want to interview people like you who have found a purpose, who are inspiring people, who can help people. And people need help right now, I think. I think they do. But Millie, honestly, you are the most inspirational of everyone. Oh, bless. You're too kind. But it, it, it's, it's been a joy to help people. You, you are the most inspirational person I know, I think. Oh, bless it's, you. Too what you do is from the books to everything honestly you, you don't stop and you're absolutely right if you have to map it out have a vision board know where you're going and even if you don't know where you're going just have just know what you're going to do that day keep it in the moment be like okay today I'm going to achieve this goal I'm going to do this and at least that kind of every day sort of builds on self-esteem and builds on building blocks to go to where you need to go to and don't you think not putting too much pressure on yourself is also a good thing? You know, nobody, not everybody has to have a grand master plan in life. Even just saying, today I'm going to go for a walk, I'm going to feel better. That's that's good. That's having intention, isn't it? A hundred percent. And doing service, Millie, you do service all the time. It's your job. But, you, uh, but doing something for others, there's nothing quite like if you're feeling stuck, giving up a few hours for someone else and helping someone else because you come back and you just feel actually I've, I've done something good for someone else today. Yeah, and, and that takes me to your charity, isn't it? The Keech Hospice that you've been doing a lot of work with. Yeah, it's it's um, Keech is a hospice that, um, to, to be honest, I did more work with them before lockdown because of 
the restrictions of uh, hospices and work work has been quite difficult during lockdown but that's been really really wonderful working with um with people who sometimes they've lost their, their loved ones they're in a crisis they're dealing with a lot of pain they're um, and that is pro- that's so rewarding working with people who are facing that kind of stuff it's it, it it's very humbling mm. it's humbling seeing people in that state and just wonderful to be able to give a little bit of peace if it's possible what do you do in the hospice um lisa I do Reiki, I do hypnotherapy, pain management. Um, there was this one lady who was, um, she lost her husband a year before, but she was stuck, the only the only vision she had of him was on his deathbed, right? So even the 40 years of marriage, she couldn't, she just couldn't stop this vision of him when he was dying. So we did like a, a hypnotherapy release through it. And she, whenever she thinks of him now, she just thinks of all the happy times, the, the day of the marriage, the, the birth of their child. And we managed to flip that. So it's like little things like that, Millie, that actually the little adjustment of how you look at things can make a world of difference. Yeah. And we had the wonderful little Charlotte Froud, who's 17. She was the first girl that I interviewed and um, she is aspiring to be a medical student, but she's also an artist and she's been working with care homes doing online art classes. I mean, I just was so inspirational listening to this kid. I mean, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, I think that's wonderful, Lisa. So there's so many facets to you, as I said at the beginning of this interview, you've gone from being Britain's top model, you know, not just Britain, your face was all over the world at one point, to TV producer, to having this traumatic bereavements in your life and emerging out of that, to, you know, using art to heal yourself, but also now using art to heal others and getting an understanding of health and well-being. And through your iLab programme, I'm hoping that you're going to reach many, many more people in the coming months and years and, and just really, really grateful for your time this morning. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Lisa. Oh, thank you, Millie. It's been so lovely chatting to you. It really has. Thank you so much. And thank you to my listeners for listening. And if you have any feedback or any comments, please feel free to email us at hello at livelongerthepodcast.com. And join me next week for another very, very inspirational person, Mr. Dan White, um, a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer. And he's done incredible work um, all over the world in many disciplines. And I think it's going to be a really good conversation. So look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks for listening.